Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Before we get to our guests, I want to thank all of you veterans listening today. Listen, our country is the country that it is today because of the sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of people over the decades and over the hundreds of years that we've been a country. What a blessing it is to be a United States citizen, and it's all been made possible by those who have fought wars not only on our soil, but across the globe to keep people from getting on our soil. And, and if you get a chance to see a veteran today, I know my father-in-law is a veteran and my father is a veteran. I just want to thank both of them for serving right after uh, Korea or during Korea and right after uh, the Korean War. Lord, I just want to thank you for the veterans that are out there today. And I pray that you just put a blessing on them. Thank you that they listen uh, to your ears and your to what your voice as they speak. Uh, to those around them, Lord, to help them just to inspire those people uh, that they come in contact with. Lord, our veterans are such a gift to our country, and I just want to thank you for them. Thank you for their bold sacrifice, and uh, we just ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we've got a very special guest today, Chuck Proudfit. He's part of an organization called At Work on Purpose, which is transforming Cincinnati into a whole new place. Chuck Proudfit, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, I hope you feel that way at the end of the show. Many people say that at the beginning, but they never say it at the end. Boy, that was great, Jim. 
Hey, Chuck, as we head into the first break, I really want to hear, how is Jesus Christ making a difference in your life today? We're going to take a step back and hear how you got to where you are today. But how is Jesus making an impact on your life today? Wow. Well, we'll go back to my history later, as you say. But today, where that really makes a difference for me is just when we suffer loss, since you asked. Uh, we had a puppy dog uh, that was bitten at the groomers by a dog that gave this little puppy the equivalent of the MRSA virus. And for five months, we had been tending this little dog, and she was almost healed, but her liver failed from the antibiotics, and we had to put her to sleep. Mm. And it was devastating for the kids. But there was a spiritual part of this that we were able to talk about, which if you're not a Christian, if you're not processing Jesus' sacrifice, and more generally God's love for us is expressed through Jesus, then you wouldn't be able to understand that God loved this little puppy. God created this puppy for a purpose, and that the essence, the spirit of that little puppy will live in some fashion in eternity, and that there's hope in that, and there's closure in that. So that's how it is affecting me right now, since you asked. No, that's, that's a tough one. Fam, some people really get, many people get really attached to their family pets. I never had the opportunity to actually have a pet other than a cat when I was growing up, and then I got allergic to everything that had fur. And so I've never had the, <laughs> never had the privilege to have a pet that actually loved me back, because, you know, if you have a cat, they don't love you back. They just want to know why you're there. So, so you're, you know, you've got an interesting background, educated at Harvard, and even a natural entrepreneur while at college. Pretty unusual. Then you were working at Procter & Gamble when you had a meltdown in your life. And I love what you were working on Procter & Gamble, how to find ways to make the toilet paper roll seem like it was just as thick but have less sheets of toilet paper. That's a pretty fantastic gift. So we're talking today with Chuck Proudfit. He's got a ministry in Cincinnati touching over 5,000 people directly called At Work on Purpose. Chuck, before the break, I just started in, just kind of teasing people that, hey, you, you educated at Harvard, and you were even even at a business when you were in college. What was that business all about? Yeah, so when I was in college, Apple Computer had just launched a computer called the Macintosh, and they changed the world with it. But back in those days, what really changed it was the idea of desktop publishing. So we, uh, when I say we, some Harvard friends and I literally started a company that used the Macintosh computer and the LaserWriter printer to open up shop with a little desktop publishing company and employed 12 students, and we sold it to the university when we graduated. Wow. I mean, right from the get-go, and you're selling a business to Harvard. I like that. That's good. And to be able to put that on a resume is pretty impressive. So God moved you from Harvard and eventually ended up at Procter & Gamble working on a project that's pretty unusual. You described to me on the phone when we were talking about this interview today. Talk talk about, and I know it's an aside, it doesn't have anything to do with Christ, but I just want people to hear some things that go on in the big corporate world that people just will never believe unless they heard it here on the radio. <laughs> sure. So I took a job at Procter & Gamble, a consumer products company in Cincinnati once I graduated. And because I had an entrepreneurial background, the company wanted to place me on one of their struggling brands to reinvigorate it. Uh, somebody said to me one day, they said, we want you to bring a spark to toilet paper, which is what I was placed on. I told them, I said, you know, that's dangerous. It could be a flammable combination. <laughs> and as I first started in that job, I was placed on something called a SWAT team. That was short for oh, white on. cloud toilet paper at $2 a four roll. 
And the answer was that we couldn't. It was an over-engineered product, softer and thicker than people wanted to pay for. So the assignment that I had at the end of the day was taking what's called a sheet count reduction. It's an indirect price increase. But my job was to work with manufacturing plants around the country and wind the rolls more loosely so the diameter was the same as before the sheet count reduction and take a very small increase in the thickness of the paper and then market it as new and improved. New because it had 30 fewer sheets and improved because it was thicker. There's nothing illegal about doing this. So like when you open up potato chips, you know, and there's like it seems so full, but then once it's open, it's half air and half chips at the bottom. It's the same thing. So corporate America does this a lot. But for me, it felt so empty. And here I was at the beginning of my career realizing that the fast track that the world was really affirming for me was not a track I wanted to run on. So how did God move you from there to really founding At Work on Purpose in 2003? So as I reflected on how unhappy I was in a job that everybody felt I should be ecstatic to have. Sure, because everybody wants to work at Procter & Gamble. Right. It was like, wow, you're, you know, you're in a fast track uh, career path. You're in a training ground company. It's prestigious. You're well paid. All of that was true. And yet I knew that there was something missing. And so dissatisfaction with my work actually triggered a spiritual search for me because I said to myself one night, I need to really sort through what the priorities are going to be in my life and what kind of work is going to be fulfilling in my life. And I really think the Holy Spirit tapped on my heart that night and said, you know, Chuck, you really need to figure out the spiritual side of your life as part of answering those questions. So for me, it began a 10-year research project. I studied all the major religions and philosophies of the world, and somehow, over the course of 10 years, my faith moved from a cerebral exercise up in my head 18 inches down to my heart, and I committed my life to Christ in November of 1996. Wow, what? But that's a cool story. You studied it just like, just like C.S. Lewis went and studied it, tried to prove it that it was just a bunch of nothing, and it, it led him to Christ. And your own search really led you to Christ. And, and, and there's a lot of people out there that say, "Ooh, that was dangerous." So you might have gotten pulled in by the other religions. But if you're truly, really researching the other religions, they're not going to lead you anywhere. They're not going to give you the answers. But Christ really provides the answers that we're looking for. Right. So how did uh, so 1996 you give your life to Christ? Are you still a Procter and Gamble? No. So actually, by the time I became a Christian, I had worked in corporate America over that decade for Procter and Gamble, for the Ernest and Julio Gallo Winery out in the Bay Area, and then at Lenscrafters Corporation. So I had kind of had a corporate stint, and then I had launched a consulting practice. So by the time I become a new believer in 1997. I'm heading up a small startup that's growing quickly in the consulting space. Well, that's, that is really cool. I want to take a break from these questions and talk about this book that we're highlighting today so we give people a chance to call in. Our book highlight segment is, of course, brought to you by mtlmagazine.com. The truth is our friends at MTL Magazine have worked hard to put together an amazing magazine and website that helps us grow in our faith as they highlight authors, artists, books, movies, and so much more. MTL represents more to life, and our friends at mtlmagazine.com believe that there is Christian product that a Christian product that will help you get more out of your life in Christ. Whether you're looking for resources about faith, family, relationships, money, health, the world, or everyday life, mtlmagazine.com is an excellent resource for me, and I know you'll love it too. You'll find more to life at mtlmagazine.com. Our book to 
today is business tree. That's, a, that's an interest. I like, I like the way you guys did that. Business tree written by Chuck Proudfit and Jeff Greer. Chuck, talk about this book. Talk about what caused you to write this book, where to come from, and what's it all about. Sure. So that little startup consultancy I mentioned took off quickly. And because I was a new Christ follower, I wanted it to be a Christ-centered consultancy. So this was an early season for me of learning what it's like to integrate faith and work in a corporate environment. And I quickly saw that there were working Christians all around me who had no faith life at work at all. In fact, the vast majority of them And so I started to feel a nudge, which today I would describe as a calling, that I needed to get really good at integrating faith with my work, and I needed to help other people do the same. Out of that emerged the idea for a ministry to everyday working Christians, so that we could shift from being what I would call weekend worshipers to marketplace missionaries. And At Work on Purpose was born for that purpose in 2003. And the book that you wrote, was it written similar time frame, or was it written after that as you kind of put all of what you learned into a book form? Yeah, so as this ministry is launched, uh, we have to fund it. And I felt that we should not go the route that most ministries do, where you fund it through donations or capital campaigns, but instead to generate an economic engine to take profit dollars from an enterprise. So we chose to fund that work on purpose through SkillSource, and I joked to uh, the startup team one day, I said, you know, the, the uh, business over here is going to fund the ministry, so we'll call it a business tree, B-I-Z-N-I-S-T-R-Y. And that was the birth for us of the concept of what others might call kingdom enterprise. I so, love that. That is so fantastic. I, I, I totally believe in that model. So we have basically funded at work on purpose through economic engines like profit dollars from a consulting firm ever since. Well, that's fantastic. So you wrote this book, Business Tree, by Chuck Profit and Jeff Greer. All right, so we're back with Chuck Proudfit. He's got At Work on Purpose, and he just described how he is really funding his ministry at work on purpose by business enterprises, which is what you're talking about, business trees. So businesses funding ministries so that you don't have to go out there and beg for money, that they're actually connected to a for-profit enterprise that's going to help support them. I love that idea. So how has it done for you? I mean, right from the start, has it always supported your ministry? Well, we've had to build it out. It's taken an extended period of time. But yes, what we've come to find over the years is that we can fund our ongoing operational budget through the revenues that are generated by business tree. And at this point, it's not just a skill source, the consulting firm, but it's other economic engines that we've developed. Now, having said that, we got to a point where many people from other cities were asking for information on the At Work on Purpose model. They wanted tools and documentation. The only way that we could create that was to have seed capital, and our operating budget didn't allow for that. So we did begin to raise funds and pursue grants for new materials that could become economic engines of their own. So in other words, we developed a philosophy of fundraising when we started to have needs in the ministry above and beyond the ongoing operations. But anything we raise money for has to become a money maker. So let's start talking about At Work on Purpose. What? Why did you launch this? You described it a little bit that you're like, people need to learn how to connect. I guess the way you, you put it, I love the way you put it, that, that you just seemed like people... They just didn't have any idea how to connect their faith to work. Right, and the statistics bear that out, Jim. 
what we see is that about 95 to 99 percent of working Christians go to church on Sunday and work on Monday. In other words, they buy into the secular lie that church is church and work is work, when in reality work is just one more form of worship. So we definitely started from that vantage point. And in the early days, I assembled what we might call a small group. These were Christians who simply had an interest in a faith life at work. And so we would gather together every month. We'd compare notes, encourage and support each other. And in a sense, we became a little microcosm of the church at work. And we came from different church homes and denominations and zip codes across the city. But we all had the common heart for Christ at work. And the culture of this group became contagious. And we started to see dozens of people who wanted to come, and then hundreds, and then thousands. And as all of that grew, there were more and more uh, discussions and, and requests, you know, for different kinds of services, and how do we organize all of this. Uh, the irony of the whole thing is that in many ways, to this day, At Work on Purpose is more of an organism than an organization. But we are well organized, and the way that we've done that is to really bring people together uh, with colleagues that have similar expressions of faith lived out at work. You know, maybe they work in a similar industry, or maybe they have a certain area of marketplace ministry for which they have a passion. But the neatest thing is that with these communities, which uh, the local church sometimes describes these as missional communities, uh, these missional communities are connected to each other because we all have this common picture of the city's marketplace being reclaimed for Christ. So you you talk you said I love this the, what you said is that it's more of an organism instead of an organization. What do you mean by that? Does it just mean there's so many pieces that are moving that it's not just predictable by just looking at the organization? Talk, what do you mean by that? Sure. So let's take a familiar construct, the local church. So in the eyes of uh, the IRS, the local church is a nonprofit organization. It is structured with a chain of command. So it will have typically a leadership, perhaps in the form of a senior pastor and an executive pastor. It will probably have leaders who head up different uh, areas of ministry and others who are responsible for some of the administrative functions of the church. And then, of course, you have uh, people that volunteer and, and congregants who attend. But everything is uh, driven in an organizational framework. For At Work on Purpose, in contrast, what it looks like is much more the original idea of ecclesia. In other words, when we go to work on Monday, it looks totally different from church on Sunday. Mm. Church on Sunday is a bunch of people gathered together. There's, you know, fellowship and equipping and a warm sense of invitation and, and collegiality. But then as a Christ follower, you go into work on Monday morning, you may be the only believer where you work. Or maybe there are just a handful of you, and you're surrounded by others who are not believers and in a secular work environment that might even be hostile to faith expression. So the jarring contrast between what we experience uh, in what I'll call the organization of the local church on Sunday and kind of this uh, ecclesia-like framework of a remnant of believers who are just out there in, on the front lines of the day-to-day -day work world, but who have the faith to believe that they're missionaries in the marketplace, that through the Holy Spirit indwelling them, even if it's just two or three, that great things can happen. And Jesus spoke to this. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I 
in their midst. In other words, the kingdom of God, the power of Christ, is present even in a small number of believers in an overwhelmingly secularized work environment. So the reality is, for anybody who's a Christian in today's marketplace, in the U.S. certainly, we have to understand that the church is the church capital C, and that it's the collective body of believers, but whereas we are assembled on Sundays, we're assigned by God to specific areas of focus through the week. And by definition, we're not going to be operating as an organization when we're working inside our employer's um, you know, place of work. Instead, we are operating inside of it with perhaps a set of other believers, and we have to be the church where we work just like the early church was. When you look at the impact that At Work on Purpose has had all over Cincinnati, over since 2003, I mean, when I was reading uh, probably an outdated bio, you have over 5,000 people involved from all over Cincinnati, from, from 52 neighborhoods, uh, from all different ethnic groups. Talk to me about what you're doing. How? Uh, let's just start. What are you doing? We'll start there. We'll, then we'll ask how you're doing it. But what exactly does At Work on Purpose do? So we uh, do a few things. First of all, our mission is to mobilize Christians in the working world. So our whole focus is developing everyday Christians to become faith active at work. Now, what that looks like is, first, we have to reach working Christians. Unlike a local church that gathers you know, the congregation together every Sunday or whatever, what it looks like to reach people in the marketplace is to network, which I'm sure is what the early church did. And they started out with small numbers, you know, 120 people in an upper room. But you just have to start looking for and reaching out to other believers in the marketplace who might be at the place where you work, or maybe they're in your industry, or maybe they're in your area of town. So the first part that we do is helping Christians to reach each other. And we do that through lots of uh, network uh, activities. So the next thing that happens is that we have to prepare each other to be faith active at work. And so a great deal of our focus is on equipping, often in small groups, but really starting at the beginning. It's kind of like if you're just walking into the waiting pool, <laughs> much less, you know, um, the, the swimming pool itself. What does it look like to get started in a practical way with faith application? And so over the years, we've developed some neat tools that prepare people for that. And then the third piece is to literally go out there and minister in the environments where we work. Not only that, but to share with each other the stories of our ministry in the marketplace. You know, when you think about uh, the local church on the weekends, who are the heroes that usually are brought up on stage? I mean, we celebrate missionaries that go to places like Africa. Right. But do we celebrate the missionaries that go to work? No. And no, but with an at-work on purpose, we do. And so we don't just... Uh, prepare people, and then uh, walk with them to minister where they work. We celebrate their ministry at work, and we do that by coming together once a year in a larger annual gathering that's citywide, but also through the year uh, where we'll uh, tell stories, we'll uh, hold little uh, gatherings where we kind of uh, share a success story, that kind of thing, and that just becomes an ongoing activity. And 
I believe if you read the book of Acts through the eyes of a working Christian, you can see that this is what the early church did, too. It talks about how they gathered daily and they broke bread together. Well, what they were doing is they were hanging out with each other at work. They were a close-knit community of working Christians, and they were becoming contagious and drawing others into their midst. And so thousands were saved, and they went out there and they ministered. For example, uh, when people who had means would sell houses or whatever and bring it to the feet of the apostles, and they would distribute it to people as they had need, and they eliminated poverty in their sphere of influence, which we can't even do in today's world with all of our resources. And this is because they were this close-knit community that would network with a purpose. You know, it wasn't networking just to get a project or get a job or get a client. It was networking for the kingdom. It was, how do I minister to the people around me where I work? When we come back, I really want to dig deep into what that looks like in Cincinnati, because I, what, I'm, what I'm hoping is that by us being on the air today and people will listen to this by the thousands over the Internet over the next several months, whether they're on podcasts or archives, I want this to inspire people on, hey, here's how it's being done in Cincinnati, and here's what we're looking for in answers. And, and I, want, I want us to draw a picture, and I'd love for you to be able to share some stories of some uh, of some testimonies and how it's made an impact, because really, I, I love... I love what you're saying, that you're mobilizing, but that that just like the early church, you're trying to be contagious in the workplace. All right, we got lots more coming up with Chuck Proudfit from At Work On Purpose right there in Cincinnati, where over 5,000 people are involved. We're having a fast-moving conversation with Chuck Proudfit. He helps found a ministry in 2003 in Cincinnati called At Work On Purpose. Really just trying, because of the fact that he kept looking at Christians and recognizing that most of them did not have a faith walk at work. They just didn't know what to do. And so At Work On Purpose has been around since 2003. Chuck, I really want to talk about what does it look like? What do you guys, I mean, you're talking about networking. I, I wrote down what you, you said. You're okay. We're mobilizing Christians in a working world you're, so that they can reach working Christians. You're doing networking, which I love that. Networking is so powerful. And really, the church should be the key networking piece. The, the body of Christ should be a huge networking piece around the world. But unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck behind the four walls of their church building and don't network outside of their church building. You know, that you're, you're preparing them to have their faith active in those small groups and you're and you're teaching them and then you're getting them to go out and to minister in their own workplace and you're trying to get them to be contagious. So Chuck, what does this look like? Describe for me these 5,000 people that are involved in Cincinnati. Give me some examples of what's going on. Sure. So um, first of all, <clears throat> as part of the answer to your question, I think it's really helpful to look at Jesus' instruction to the disciples in Luke chapter 10. And there's a book by a, a guy named Ed Silvoso called Prayer Evangelism, which walks through this. But in simple form, Jesus was basically saying, "As I'm going to send you out to share the good news of Christ. I'm going to send you out to 70 uh, in work teams of two. And as you go to surrounding towns and villages, I want you to give people a warm greeting. If they blow you off, that's my version of the, of the Scripture, sure. then, then dust off your sandals and move on. But if they're nice to you, hang out with them, get to know them, break bread with them, 
start to learn what their felt needs are and minister to those, and then tell them that whatever prayer is being answered, whatever healing is happening, that they're actually seeing God at work. In other words, they are seeing the kingdom of God coming to life in their life. And so what we see here is a four-step process to bless the people we're around, to fellowship with them, to minister to their felt needs, and then to proclaim Christ as the reason for our motivation. That four-step strategy is the core of the equipping approach that we take in Cincinnati. So if you can imagine one irresistibly transformed work life at a time that a passionate Christian who becomes a marketplace missionary starts looking at their sphere of influence at work, and they start to say to themselves, this is my mission field. How can I bless the people that I'm working with every day? How do I fellowship with them over time? How do I minister to their felt needs and then uh, share with them when they ask what my testimony is, you know, on a permission basis? And this is, in a sense, repeated in Cincinnati over and over again with so many different uh, stories. So let me give you just one that kind of illustrates. There was a, a gentleman here in Cincinnati named Stacy. He was in his uh, late 50s, early 60s, had worked for years at the local newspaper, the Cincinnati Inquirer. He was an Emmy Award-winning videographer. However, he lost his job in a round of layoffs like so many have in the advertising industry over the last several years. He could not find a new employer because everybody said they didn't say it quite this way, but basically you're too old. And so he came to me desperate to find a way to work and thinking, if I can't find a job, maybe I need to go into business, but I don't even know how to get started. I've never done anything like that. Well, that's the space that I'm in. And so uh, he started to you know, approach me, so I'm fellowshipping with him. Um, I'm asking him questions. You know, there's a blessing in that just to understand somebody's pain and what they've been through. But to minister to his felt needs, I helped him set up a business that he calls today Chili Dog Productions. Uh, you, it's all about, uh, his, he likes to say you can teach old dogs new tricks, and he goes out and he does video work. And At Work on Purpose became his very first client. I hired him on a retainer basis to go out with me and videotape everyday working Christians who are integrating faith with work. The very first story that we did was a guy 53 years old in northern Kentucky who was running a commercial floor cleaning company and was six weeks from death of cancer. This man had come to Christ through the At Work on Purpose ministry. He was talking about his uh, coming death, but recognizing, as he describes it in this video, that he'll have eternal life in Christ. And his testimony was so powerful that Stacy came to Christ making that video. And today, to this day, I disciple Stacy through videos. So every month, as we're working on videos, I ask him to bring back to me the spiritual lessons that he's learning, the biblical scripture that ties to it. In other words, I don't just want to send him for discipleship at a local church. I want to be the church where he works and disciple him because God placed him in my midst. And that kind of story is repeated over and over here. But part of the reason why is that we tell these stories. We share them with each other because, hard truth be told, most working Christians have never seen anything like this, and they don't hear about this in local churches. So how? what kind of luck, since the movement of At Work on Purpose has grown to be really a formidable force in Cincinnati, how have you gotten the attention of church 
leaders, not, yeah, I mean, people that are running churches, have you gotten their attention? Are they starting to go, hey, maybe we're missing something here? Sometimes. By and large, and I'm generalizing here, Jim, there are more churches that do not focus on work life than do. In fact, if you look at the ministry programming in general inside the local church, most of it deals with the things of life before 9 a.m. and after 5 p.m., you know, like marriage ministry, recovery ministry, all that. But work life is typically neglected. I think an institutional reason for that is that so much of the local church leadership has gone to college and divinity school and then a pastoral role of some kind, but is much less or completely, in some cases, unfamiliar with what it's like to work in the marketplace, where most of the people in the pews are spending most of their waking hours. So what we have done in Cincinnati is to walk through every open door afforded to us by local churches. We don't uh, sort of pound on the door and say, hey, uh, think about work life, because we tried that before, and until they awaken to the idea of it, it's extremely hard to get their attention. However, God has opened back doors for us on many occasions where somebody inside the At Work on Purpose community will introduce us to leadership in a local church, and when that happens, we can start to serve. A great example is a Christian CEO who is in uh, an executive roundtable that's faith-based that we offer. And he came to work one day, and he said, you know, I'm not a Catholic, but I have a confession. He said, I've been working so hard to bring Christ to the center of my accounting firm, but I'm an elder at my local church, and I've never once even raised the question, why aren't we doing anything with work life in this local church? That was the beginning of what became a pilot test for today, a series we call Mission to Monday, which is our primary equipping tool. It was developed in a local church, and it's often used here in local churches. You know, when I hear those stories, and, and I've heard that frustration literally around the country, it is not just Cincinnati, it's it's everywhere. And it is for the reason you mentioned. It's really, you were very generous in saying, you know, more churches aren't talking about work life than are talking about work life. But it's more like 95% ignore it and 5% are really understanding it. And it is, it, it, what's amazing is I really believe ministries like yours, and there are thousands of ministries that are workplace-based around the country in lots of different corners of these cities all over the place, we're going to reverse influence the church, the church in the box kind of church. Not the body of Christ is already understands, hey, we've all, we're all, we all have a mission field. And in that mission field, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. And Chuck, what I loved when you started to say, the things we're trying to do is to, to bless the people that we work with and to, to gain fellowship with them and to minister to them and, and then have the opportunity to share our faith. It goes right along with what I call the I Work For Him Nation. I'm challenging a thousand people in Tampa Bay to start praying for their coworkers and employees each and every day by name, to look for ways to serve them, for look, looking to, looking for ways to befriend them outside of the workplace so they get an opportunity to be real with them, look for ways to pray with people, and all along being a person of excellence in your workplace. workplace. So people are asking a question, what's wrong with you? So I, 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 we're more synergistically aligned than what I even thought. I knew what you were doing was incredible, but I love the fact that you're chasing after those same things. And, and that's at my very core of our heart. I really believe that we could change workplaces by praying for the people that we work with. It will open up doors because our heart changes towards them. Yes. I thought you were going to say more than that. Okay. All right. So you talk about four facets of things that you like to integrate as you're teaching people. You talk about evangelism, ethics, enrichment, and experience. Talk about how you incorporate 
those things into your bigger vision because you didn't want to have just cubicle evangelism. You really wanted to disciple people to recognize that their workplace was a mission field. How do you use those four E's in, in teaching people? Sure, and even stepping back a little bit further, within the Christian community, we have many that are passionate about evangelism, many that are passionate about discipleship, but the reality is we need to be passionate about both. You know, salvation and sanctification are a continuum, and the early Church was much better at seeing things holistically. So those four E's, really, at the end of the day, are about loving people towards Christ, and then growing people in Christ. Now, in our case, in Greater Cincinnati, the way that God has, in a sense, incubated a community is that he started to give us a vision for reclaiming the city's marketplace for Christ. In other words, what would it look like if all 350,000 working Christians that we estimate are in Greater Cincinnati were faith-active at work? Well, it would be transformational. I mean, they would be bringing the light of Christ to the dark crevices everywhere they work, which is essentially the marketplace, you know, private sector, public sector, social sector. So God really placed a vision on our hearts, and it was holistic. It was all of those E's. It was salvation and sanctification. And then we started to see leaders, Christian marketplace leaders, who are inspired by a bigger vision, you know, a big, holy, audacious goal like that. And what happened was they began to organize all kinds of different initiatives that uh, tapped their leadership horsepower, but in service to the city, the common good of the city. So, for example, some of the things that began to emerge when the economy crashed in 08, we were able to develop a faith-based job transition network that had 22 satellite locations within three months uh, after the crash hit. We have been able to develop a citywide mentoring program so that Christians who are in college and are just about to embark on their careers are paired to people like me who are out in the marketplace day to day, who've been around the block, spiritually speaking, and can really help get them off on the right foot for their vocation, their call of God for their work. And I mean, there are many other examples as well, but my point is that these initiatives, in a sense, blend all of those different E's. They blend these different elements. So evangelism is part of it because you're automatically reaching out, uh, but so is the experience of uh, seeing God at work and being part of a community. Uh, ethics is central because we're looking at the, the biblical aspects of wh what does it look like to live out a biblical principle at work? You know, the borrower is a slave to the lender. If that one principle had really been understood in the finance industry, we wouldn't have the mortgage crisis that led to the crash in 08. That's for sure. All right, Chuck, what I want to know is how has the your government officials there, have they started to take notice of the movement that is now called At Work on Purpose? Yes, and interestingly, that has happened on a neighborhood basis. So one of those uh, missional communities I was describing emerged as what today is called NET. That's short for Neighborhoods Embracing Transformation. So these are people that connected into the At Work on Purpose community, had leadership giftings, and wanted the marketplace to play a role in revitalizing troubled neighborhoods. And in greater Cincinnati, we have 52 neighborhoods. And some of these neighborhoods are essentially small cities. So when I say neighborhood, I don't mean a few blocks. 
but uh, inside some of them, we've already been able to serve in ways that the government's noticed and even where they've made requests. For example, in uh, a very impoverished neighborhood here in Cincinnati where homes were really dilapidated, the government approached us and said, is there any way that you can help us to simply provide basic repairs like painting uh, on the outside of these buildings that these people cannot afford? So we were able to rally Christians in and through the marketplace in order to do this, but it was really the government that made that request. Uh, right now, we're working on what I'll call an adopt-a-cop program. Uh, what we're trying to do is to come alongside police officers and more generally first responders, but especially cops right now that feel under siege. It's like uh, if they respond to an emergency and, and their life is threatened, if they shoot somebody, you know, they're in trouble, I mean, with the law. And if they don't, they may be dead themselves. And in Cincinnati, we've seen both of those happen. And so, you know, these are all examples where the public sector, the government, is very grateful when what I will literally call the hands and feet of Christ become active in their midst. Chuck Proudfit with At Work On Purpose. Thanks so much for being on I Work For Him today. Thank you. As we come to the end of, another, end of another I Work For Him show, what did you learn today about how we could take Tampa Bay for Christ? today that our faith can impact our workplace. There are ministries all over the country that are impacting, that are raising up Christ-following believers to recognize that they have a ministry in their workplace, that they are being called to their workplace, that their workplace is their mission field. You know, it's amazing that At Work on Purpose in Cincinnati is really making a huge impact by discipling people, and that's really what it is. You need to, let's just encourage the leaders of our local bodies of Christ to recognize that we as workplace believers have needs on how to be equipped, that we need to recognize that we can change our workplaces by praying for people, by serving people, by befriending people, by praying with people, all along being people of excellence, that that gives us an opportunity to share our faith in Christ. That is huge, absolutely huge. Join the I Work For Him Nation tonight. Go out to iWorkForHim.com and click on the Nation tab. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. Yeah.